And I'm Tina. And we are here to discuss Farscape Season 4, Episode 9. A prefect murder. And not, as I said last week, a perfect murder. Yeah, that's how they get you. But I don't know how... I should have realized it was going to be a pun. Like, what's wrong with me that I didn't realize they were going to do a pun? Yeah, this episode is fine. Well, I said to you after we were done watching it, this is definitely an episode that, if we were talking about a modern 10-episode run, would not exist. But it does incrementally kind of move forward the emotional arc between John and Aaron. If we only had 10 episodes to get that done, they'd be like, not worth it, keep going, but... Yeah, it's it's pretty stock plotty, though. You know what it really reminded me of? No. Wait, the episode where they're on the planet where they're being judged for the murder and we see it from everyone's point of view no huh no it reminded me a lot of look at the princess this episode just seemed like kind of a worse version of look at the princess interesting just because they have that guy who's trying to start war like in i mean it is an episode where they get sucked into the politics of another planet what's unusual here is that one of the things that i consider a hallmark of farscape is that They do not care what's going on on your fucking backwater planet. But here, they kind of get invested. Yeah. Even without the magical bugs that make them commit murder. Yeah. Although, I I think my favorite scene in this episode is the bit where the guy's explaining how their government works to John, and John is just saying short, neutral words (laughs) to try to keep the conversation moving as quickly as possible. Yeah, John doesn't care. John still doesn't care about your stupid backwater planet. He just cares about Aaron and her pregnancy and whether or not he's the father. Hey, look, I just recapped previously on Farscape. Yeah. So, are we going to have the Aaron is with child in every single previously on farscape because it seems like it's been in everything yeah and it's not really relevant this episode either honestly there's something that we don't see in the previously on that would have been way more relevant but that's okay we'll talk about it when we get there Mm. i guess they just really like that moment also naranti doesn't appear in this episode Uh, yeah i was just thinking that when we had her in the thing she she's just not in the episode at all which is fine i like naranti but Sir, not appearing in this episode. I like Naranti, but she doesn't need to be in every episode. You know what's weird to me? We got all the way to episode 9 and Stark's not back yet. I do not recall Stark being gone for so long. Well, I mean, it probably threw you that he came back for the hallucination episode, or the video game episode. Maybe. And then he wasn't back after that, but yeah. Well, anyway. It's kind of, it's not exactly like, but when, when I'm... Rereading comics from a certain era uh-huh. or rewatching Buffy or whatever, there's always a thing where I remember something happening way before it actually happens. It's because in your mind you cut out all the filler stuff. Yeah. Like, Jean, it takes like 40 issues of the X Men before Jean Grey gets her telepathy. Seriously? Yeah. That's so long! But it's all because it's the Silver Age X-Men and they're all fighting shit like the Conquistador, which you don't think of when you think about the X-Men. Remember that conversation we had where you were like, it's so weird that they keep going back to the Silver Age X-Men, even though it only ran for 10 issues. And I was like, it ran for like 100. Yes. (laughs) It's because it's not very good, but. That is so strange. Remember back in the day when they were doing the Ultimates, one of the reasons Ultimate Spider-Man was so good at the beginning is because 
essentially Ultimate Spider-Man was just Brian Michael Bendis retells just the parts of Spider-Man that you remember. It was basically like the Princess Bride, right? It was just the good stuff version. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, I feel like some things aside, Ultimate Spider-Man holds up really well because... For the first like five or six trades, yeah. And then he runs out of stories. I mean, I I like it up until, honestly, up until the death of Ultimate Spider-Man. Really? Yeah, I mean, I honestly, I forget a lot of the stuff that happens, but the Ultimate Clone Saga is actually really good. Oh, that's where I tapped out, but I guess your mileage may vary, obviously. Well, I mean, it helps that the Ultimate Clone Saga is like three issues. Instead of three years. Yeah, and it's not super meandering. And the whole thing where they like, he kind of does the whole Peter Parker's robot parents thing. Mm-hmm. There was a brief period where it looked like Peter Parker's parents had faked their deaths, but then it turned out they were just robots meant to something, something, something. And they kind of do the same fake out in Ultimate Spider-Man, except it turns out Peter's dad is actually an accelerated age clone of Peter. Okay. Like I said, I'd tapped out at that point. Yeah. Also, I really like the concept behind Ultimate Jessica Drew. What was the concept behind Ultimate Jessica Drew? It, it was basically an X-23 thing where she was a, uh, she was in... A gender swap clone. Uh, a gender swap clone of uh, Peter. And they did some interesting stuff with her. Again, your mileage may vary. It's also queer stories written by... But... Yeah. It's weird calling it queer stories because I'm like... Is it canon or is it just very, very heavily implied? Very heavily coded. Well, she's canonically a lesbian. Oh, okay. Because her whole thing is, like, it's a Ben Riley situation where she has all of Peter Parker's memories. Oh. That feels like a, yeah, that feels like a weird way to bring in a queer character. Yeah. And she's like, look, just because I'm a girl doesn't mean, like, I still, I, I, I'm attracted to women because. That's. Yeah, it, it's one of those things where you're like, Ugh. but there are a lot of trans people really love Ultimate Jessica Drew. That makes sense, sure. Because she she does make it clear that you know she is comfortable in her body as, you know, a woman, mm-hmm. even though she has all these memories of being. Oh, that's really interesting. But also written by <laughs> written by cishet people, right? Yeah. So is Brian Michael Bendis heterosexual? I don't. I realized I, I don't know. I believe so. I don't. I don't want to. I don't want to assume without knowing. But I, I. Yeah. The Ultimate Spider-Man, though, it kind of reminds me of Neil Gaiman's quote about how to tell a good story, which is you just keep writing until you're done, and then you go back to the beginning and you pretend you knew how it was going to end when you started, which is great advice for writing a novel. In an ongoing comic, you can't really do that. Things happen. It takes twists and turns. You're. It's ten years and five writers later. But if you're doing the Ultimate Spider-Man, you can look at the whole arc of it, and you can do that. And that's why, I mean, Brian Michael Bendis is a great writer, no, not to take anything from him, but that's why Ultimate Spider-Man is so good. He really bit off more than he could chew when they brought him over to DC, though. They had him, like, they had him as, like, the flagship author or whatever, and he was writing, like, seven books, and you could tell that he was writing, like, seven books. Well, I mean, that's... The comics industry is, in fact, an industry, and they are skeleton staffing just like everyone else. And mm-hmm. when you're writing, the number of pages that writers and artists are expected to put out a month now is honestly absurd. It's it's not it's not okay. But anyway. Farscape. Farscape. I want to say a thing about this episode before we start recapping, because 
this episode is kind of funky at the beginning and then it like levels off. Yeah, they kind of drop the concept of like we're seeing it later and then earlier. Well, what happens in the episode is that Aaron and then later John are bitten by these insects that mess with your mind and make you commit murder. Like your mind is being controlled by someone else. And we see when we see from Aaron's point of view that it messes with her memory and it also makes her see things in like flashes. And I feel like they were trying to recreate that feeling in the viewer. And I really appreciate that. I appreciate that they were doing something interesting to try to like fuck with your mental state while you're watching this episode. But if you don't know what's happening, it's a little weird. And then they drop it. Well, they drop it when Aaron and John figure out what's going on. It's like, oh, now we know what's happening. Let's do the story as normal. So we're going to see scenes and we're just going to see like a second, like a blip of the scene. And then it's going to expand a few times. Hmm. So we first see Erin by her prowler and a small child. She gets bit by an insect, right? That's what starts it off. She gets bit by an insect. We see that her vision is hazy and a small child is fucking with the prowler. And she's like, hey, stop fucking with my ship. Oh, no, it's Jason Todd. Batman recruited Jason Todd after he tried stealing uh, the tires off the Batmobile. Oh, okay. Okay. This is like a mystical vision child, though. (laughs) Yeah. Very much not like Jason Todd. Then we see Chiana being stoned and rushed off of the planet by people who are like, hey, hey, get this woman off the planet. She's having sex with all of our men, which is funny because that's what happened in John's vision of her on Earth. Yeah. The Moya crew has landed on this planet because they need water for, you know, not dying purposes. Mm -hmm. And Chiana was bored while they were getting water. So she had sex with everyone who looked vaguely important. I don't think it was everyone who looked vaguely important. I think it was just anyone who was interested in sex. Which, you know what? I relate to Chiana. I feel like I feel like Chiana and I would operate the same way on alien planets. I would be like, well, this is interesting. What sentient life is there that wants to have sex? Because I really want to see what that what's up with sex on this planet. I You bought me the comic money shot. Yes. Because of That's basically the plot, except that the plot of Money Shot is they go to other planets and have sex with strange alien creatures so that they can film it for porn so they can get the funding for their exploration. For me, it would be about love of the game. Just throwing that out there. So Erin has a weird flash thing of her hitting the child who's touching her ship, and then it flashes back to just the child touching her ship, and she's like, huh, that's weird. And then when we cut back to Chiana and Dargo, they're near her prowler. And Chiana has been banished, so Aaron loads her up into the Prowler. She has it programmed so that it will take Chiana straight back to Moya. She's like, don't touch anything. Just get in the Prowler. Go back to Moya. Get out of here. Chiana's like, I'll be so bored up in Moya. And besides, I only got banned from one clan. There are two clans in this planet. There are like 200 clans on this planet. Mm, Which tracks. Mm -hmm. She's like, I've only been banned from one. I can still, you know bounce around the other ones that's fair right on most sci-fi it's like the one people that you meet is the only people on the entire planet here it's like it's a big planet i'll just go to the other side of the planet yeah we're not playing by little prince rules yeah exactly so she takes off in the prowler as she has been ordered to and dargo has a chat with the prefect the leader of the planet who is explaining to dargo that Chiana's got to go. This planet does not like outsiders, and this is bad. And then we see John talking to another high up who's like, 
what about Aaron and Sokozu? Are they going to have sex with all the guys? And John's like, no, stop. And then he gets a calm from Aaron. And he's like, <laughs> like, he gets a calm from Aaron. And he's like, Aaron, I see Elvis has left the building. And she's like, what the fuck, John? I'm tired of your fucking pop culture from a culture I'm not from. And he's like, I just meant Shiana left. And she's like, okay, whatever. Oh, no, the calm's breaking up. I can't hear you. Is this a new outfit for John? I really like John's outfit. It, it's really basic, like black pants, black uh, shirt, black leather coat. But it feels like a new thing for him. It almost looks like he took. He, it almost looks like he took any markings off of a peacekeeper jacket, mm. which I like because the peacekeepers. <laughs> what even are the peacekeepers anymore? We're not even in the uncharted territories anymore. It's all about the Scarens now. So Aaron's being led into this. Oh hub i guess like a marketplace yeah by the child who is touching her ship and she keeps on having these flashes of all the people she sees and she does see dargo talking to the prefect and the prefect tells dargo look we need people to not see your people my people do not like outsiders they can't see your people and dargo kind of stalks off and then aaron gets a flash of that guy getting shot Mm. She's like, oh no, whatever weird thing happened to Chiana that was never fully explained is happening to me now. Me psychic too? (laughs) I would probably leave at that point. I mean, I know it's too late because she's seeing the past or something. No, no, she's seeing the future. She's not, actually, she's not seeing the future. She's seeing what the guy who's mind controlling her is trying to get her to do. Hmm. And she does want to leave. John calms her and he's like, Moya, Moya apparently is not doing well out here and we're not in the uncharted territories anymore. Remember, now we're in bad space. Tattered space or... Tormented space. Tormented space. And apparently Moya's being tormented, so she's out of commission. I mean, they could all chill on Moya. I, I get that there's water here, but I feel like they could bring water up. Whatever. Yeah. Aaron says, I'm getting a bad bribe. And John's like, oh, you mean vibe? And then says, oh, no, she's speaking English. And then... How, exactly? How is she speaking English? Yeah. I think he just means he's using the idioms he uses. I, I bet Wait, the word... so do idioms not translate? Okay, idioms translate because when John said that something was slicker than snot, Aaron said the translator microbes must have gotten that wrong. But I feel like vibe probably just comes across as vibe. I don't know how that would... I mean, I guess... There could be a translation, but there's probably not a peacekeeper word for I'm getting a bad, bad vibe. Yeah. 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 It just seems weird that uh, she's using English because, like we talked about with Sokozu, like there's, unless you're immune to translator microbes, there's really not a good way to learn other languages if you have them. Well, Dead John was teaching her a little bit of English. Uh, we talked then about how is that even working? But Dead John was trying to teach her a little bit of English. I'm just saying that might come in handy later. I wonder if you can suppress translator microbes. It doesn't seem like you should be able to, but... No, well, we saw him teaching her out of a book. I I guess that would be, like, the only way to learn it would be out of a book, right? Wait, so it doesn't work with reading? I would imagine it would have to work with reading. Doesn't work with reading. Huh. Huh. Wait, does it? I'm just saying it feels like John should be shit out of luck whenever he needs to read anything oh wait now i'm not sure huh no idea no idea doesn't matter 
John is sniffing the stuff that Naranti gave him to suppress his emotions towards Aaron. Yeah. Jesus Christ, dude. Mm-hmm. Just so that you remember, John is uh, using a drug now that is not good. And Aaron keeps having flashes of shooting everybody up in the marketplace. Her 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 bad vibe is that she's shooting up everyone in the marketplace. It's a very bad vibe. She she uh she looks down and she sees herself like grabbing her uh her gun, yeah. her pulse pistol. Yeah. And she's like, "Well, John's trying to get her attention over the comm and he calls her officer soon, which on the one hand, I feel is like trying to pull her back to herself, like officer soon, but on the other hand is probably partially at least the result of him taking those those drugs from Naranti. Yeah. So Aaron is seeing more visions of herself murdering everyone. Uh, I mean, spoilers for the end of this episode. She kills 18 people in this episode. That's a pretty grim thing. Yeah, and she's coming fresh off of... Uh, Being an assassin? Oh, I was going to say murdering a bunch of children in that... Uh, okay, that one I know wasn't, it wasn't her an, fault. It wasn't intentional. She assumed that they would evacuate the children first, which you know about peacekeepers, Aaron. Come on. She has been she has been carrying the guilt of that though. That's why she went off to become an assassin so she could actually kill bad people. I legitimately thought this episode was going to be about the guy that she killed because we know that she stopped a peace treaty or whatever by killing a guy. Yeah. I really thought that this was going to be about that, but it it's not. It just kind of uh It's just it's just a it's really a standalone adventure in space. Yeah. So we go back to we go back to Chiana Back on the planet. She's talking to... I guess she came back from the transport pod. She does come back from the transport pod, but this is before she gets put on the transport pod. That's what's happening. Now we're getting a longer version of that scene. So she's talking to the prince. She's like, hey, prince guy, you're going to be prefect soon. Why don't I come back when you're prefect? And he's like, no, no, stop. And Dargo's like, okay, get on the ship, get get out of here. And we see her go off. We know that what's about to happen is that Aaron's about to load her up onto the prowler. But we see Dargo now. From Dargo's point of view, he goes off and he talks to the person who's next in line to be prefect. He, I like how he explains to Chiana, we've been pretty upfront about it, but he's like, Chiana, as you know, this is the first planet we've encountered with drinking water, so maybe don't piss everyone here off before we get the chance to reload on drinking water yeah so the prefect to be holds a knife to dargo's throat and is like hey i know that people only come into tormented space if they are criminals criminals so bad that they can't even hide in the uncharted territories which means there's almost certainly a bounty for you so maybe i should just kill you and collect that bounty and dargo's like you don't want to do that and the prefect to be is like i know and now that threat is passed. Well, Dargo relates to the guy. He's like, look, I come from a species that is well known for being violent assholes all the time for no reason. And I know that you want your people to be better. Like, I want my people to be better. Which, that's not really a thing I think we've seen with Dargo, but... Sure. But he's like, like, look, I know that you're trying to pull your people out of war, so I don't think you're going to do this shitty thing for no reason. So the clans, the 200 clans, they're at peace now, but that's a new thing. They have not been at peace before, and honestly, just 
just Chiana fucking her way through the clans could destroy this very fragile piece. But that's not the real problem. That's not the whole problem. The whole problem is that this guy, the prefect-to-be, I'm sorry, he doesn't say it yet because we're getting the flashes of episode, but I'm just going to say it. Yeah, we're just going to talk about it in a straightforward way. So when his son was young, he sent his son away so that he could learn how to come back and be a good prefect, but also because there was a war and he didn't want his son to die. Mm. As a result, now his son is seen as an outsider by everyone else. That's a really good plot because that's that's a very, yeah, it's a good stock plot. Yeah. But if his son, who is already seen as an outsider, is fucking Chiana, it's going to make things even worse. It's definitely not going to help with his, like, Jenny from the Block cred. To be fair, his son is not fucking Chiana. Yeah, so we, before we get that explanation, we cut to him. Um, okay, the fandom wiki summary refers to it as recreating, since that's what the peacekeepers call it. He is recreating with Sokozu. Okay, yeah, he's doing a lot of making out with her clavicle, because that's about as much sex as you can do on, I was going to say primetime, but... It was on cable, but still. Yeah. I mean, honestly, for the amount that they can show, it's a pretty super sexy scene. Yeah. I, I It's just, we see her from the back, and she's got she's got that red curly hair that goes down her back, and we see that she's not wearing a top, and then we see him kind of running his hands down, as you said, her clavicle, because that's as slow as we can go. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I think it's a super sexy scene. Okay, spoiler alert for Lower Decks, and I know it's not as bad as what happens on Lower Decks. But this whole thing with Sukozu and the prefix sun guy is basically Peanut Hamper's plotline in that episode where they bring Peanut Hamper back recently. Okay, it is not. It is a stock person falling in love with a person from another planet plot. The Peanut Hamper plot subverts that plot. This is this is the version of the plot that the Peanut Hamper plot is subverting. Yes. Spoiler alert for Lower Decks. That episode is... It's really weird, but Peanut Hamper totally held her own uh, on that episode. Yeah, spoiler alert that Peanut Hamper comes back. Peanut Hamper, by the way, is the perfect name. It's the perfectly constructed name. Yes. <laughs> so... Seriously, there's so much of him grabbing her upper clavicle and then kind of grabbing her boob off screen. No, it's really it's really great. His hand moves down while the camera pans up to her face. I I respect the cinematography in this episode showing just up to the edge, just as much as they could. I'm just saying there's like four different shots of him kissing her clavicle. Yeah. There are other angles you could use that wouldn't show off anything. Okay, I guess that's fair. Chiana's watching from the reeds. Yes, so Chiana has returned to the planet now. She just... <laughs> it's like a sexy Moses story. The the Moses porn parody? Yes. Let my people come? Oh, dear. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to hell. Anyway, now we see more of Dargo with the prefect to be in the marketplace. This is the marketplace where we know that Aaron is seeing them. But now we see more of their conversation, and he's basically like, some other person offers him food, and he he takes it, and then when he eats it, another guy comes up to him and is like, wow, that food is fit for a prefect. A thing you'll never be, punk! So he, we learn now from Dargo that while this guy is supposed to be the next prefect, 
the priest class has the ability to sway public opinion and he can basically get him a vote of no confidence which is actually a stabbing of no confidence mm. a stabbing of no confidence it must kind of throw dargo a little bit i was thinking it when the scene with the guy hold the with the prefect to be holding the knife to him uh-huh but we know that he has a ceremonial jerking off knife so this must be kind of a mixed message thing okay i appreciate that you're you're making a joke here Yes. But I want to say, he's a Luxon. They have knives for everything. This knife not, doesn't necessarily look like the ceremonial jerking off knife. This probably, <laughs> he probably recognizes this, even if it doesn't look exactly like it. He probably recognizes this as the ceremonial making an empty threat knife. It is true. They use knives as keys, too. <laughs> they do! That's not even a joke! His knife, his sword doubles as his car keys. Could there be a more Luxon thing? Anyway, the guy tells him basically, look, you need to get your people, if not off planet, like, as as away from, from everybody seeing them as possible. Please fuck up my planet as little as possible in your time here. Hey, fair. But this is what I'm talking about. Dargo seems to really be concerned about this guy and his prefecture and what's happening with it in a way that in Farscape people generally don't. Mm. And Sokozu is... You know, making friends with the planet's inhabitants. And I'm, I'm not going to say in a way they usually don't because Chiana, right? But she seems to be really invested in this guy in a way Chiana's never invested in her guys. You know who's not in this episode either? Rigel. Rigel. I was just thinking about the thing that Rigel said last episode about the fact that she doesn't really have experience. Mm-hmm. So, like, everything that she knows is basically worthless because it's all theoretical and not in practice. Well, it's interesting because that's kind of this guy's deal too, right? He has learned how to lead, but he hasn't actually, like, gotten his hands dirty with what it means to lead. Mm. And that's probably one of the things that draws Sokozu to him. They're in the same situation there. So Dargo wanders off and he's talking to Sokozu, telling her, you know, hey, we need to stay out of sight. Mm. And meanwhile, Chiana interrupts Sokozu's bang session with Prince Guy and she's like, so I get in trouble for banging nobodies, but you're out there banging royalty. And because uh, I like I earlier on, I said that uh, Chiana was banging royalty. Now she's just banging random dudes, which who cares? Right. Like, well, all of their mothers, actually, w- the woman who was like throwing the stone at her was like, you fucked all of our sons. Except she didn't say fuck because it's cable or whatever. Fracked. Freld. Freld. God. Frack is from Battlestar Galactica. Yeah, I just... There's a robot chicken sketch uh-huh. that's just, you mother frackers, I can't believe you fracked my wife. And the censors are like, well, I don't see anything wrong with this. But Dargo here, because Dargo was calming with Sokozu, he hears Chiana over the calm and shows up and it's like, Chiana, what the fuck? And Chiana's like, yeah, I landed. But don't worry, no one's seen me. And he's like, except the prefect's son. Come on. Prefect to be. Prefect to be. Uh, there's some really weird camera work when uh, Darko sees the prefect's son with Sokozu. It's like weird comedic, you know. Rocky. Janet. Yeah, Brad. Yeah, it's, it's a whip pan. It, it is weird. Anyway, John is talking to the current prefect and... The current prefect has basically agreed that as long as Chiana is gone and they give him a generator, everyone else can stay on the planet as long as they 
you know, are cool. And this is the beginning of the scene we saw earlier where he asks him if Aaron and Sokozu are going to fuck everyone. Although now that scene has added humor to it because we know that Sokozu is absolutely sleeping with the prefect-to-be's son. The prefect-to-be-to-be. So John points out that the system that they have, he's like, so you change leaders every three weeks? That seems like a lot. And the guy's like, yeah, it's not a great system. Like, we need a three-day festival just so people don't realize how fucked up it is that we don't have consistent leadership. And John's like, well, I mean, I guess if it stops you from murdering each other, then the guy's like, but is that such a good thing? And John's like, oh, okay, you're the villain. I should have figured because you're all bino, and that's like a thing in this show. It's kind of, it's weird because there's definitely a thing in a lot of fiction where it's like, oh, the code for villainy is disability. And that is not good. That is bad. And... He might just be old. I don't know. Everyone else on the planet seems to have, like, red hair, but he has white hair. Okay, so I want to say here, though, that it's not... He's He is very pale, whereas the rest of the people are not. And his hair is white, whereas everybody else's hair is... is Brown or brownish, red. Or, yeah. Brownish, reddish, brunette. I feel like this isn't an ableism thing, though, because I don't think... I think we're supposed to see it as a race thing. Oh, like he's from a different clan or whatever. Yeah. Uh, I, I can see that. I thought it was like uh, the Thank the God It's Friday. The woman on the Thank God It's Friday? Yeah. yeah. Which just had no explanation. She was just... Well, it's so that you can tell who the important characters are. It's like when someone has their own individual sprite in a uh, old RPG. Yes. I just want to say a thing. and There's not really going to be a good point to say it, so I'm just going to say it. There's a lot of like primitivism in this episode, which is a serious issue where it's like oh we used to be warlike clans but now we are becoming civilized and we have trials Mm. primitivism was always a bad trope in fiction but in particular right now right here in the year of our lord 2022 Mm -hmm. a trope that involves going around and telling people that their political system is bad and should be more like ours just rings even false and i should say here in america in the year of our lord 2022 Mm. i I don't know this is australia but you know what i mean i just where they have ranked voting which is like such a superior system i feel like it sounded like you said that sarcastically i know but i know you didn't mean it sarcastically edit ranked choice voting is like yeah yeah oh god and we live in oregon and it's i don't i just okay it's rooted in our state's deep, deep history of racism, but we have mail-in voting, which is such a better system. Oh, that's not what I was going to talk about. I was going to talk about how, you know what, I'm just going to say, whatever. If we have any listeners in Oregon, they need to know that they need to be voting for Tina Kotek for governor. Anyway. Um, in- oh, you're thinking of that New York Times article about the, like, it's important to preserve balance to by electing a Republican uh, governor. No, I... That's trash. That's straight trash. Mm. But I was actually going to talk about our mayoral election from a couple of years ago, because in our mayoral election, there was a a massive spoiler effect and a trust fund baby Democrat in name only Ted Wheeler became mayor with nowhere near a majority when really it should have been Sarah Ian Onre, who is amazing, but the, you know, the liberal vote kind of got split by a bunch of liberal candidates, a thing that would not have happened if we had ranked choice voting. Mm. And the same thing is going to happen with governor if we're not careful. So please do not 
fall for Betsy Johnson, the spoiler. Please vote for Tina Kotek if you are in Oregon. This has not been a paid advertisement of any kind. I'm just a concerned person who does not want a Republican governor in our state, especially not with the federal government being as fucked as it is right now. Mm-hmm. All right, that's it. Anyway, we. my point is, we have no place landing on other planets and being like, oh, your political system is dumb. So Chiana runs off and runs up to the head priest guy. And she's like, ooh, I know, because I understand space in a way that Sakozu does not, mm. that the priest class is the people who really run things, so I am going to cozy up to this guy. Like uh, in that episode where John was on the island planet. Yeah, yeah. So she says, uh, so is it true what they say about priests? They give good religious experience and i feel like that is such an early 2000s joke if we did time freeze for this episode like we do for charmed that would be my time freeze yeah and the priest is like hard pass hard pass so john and dargo are having a little talk about how rough tormented space has been on moya and like how they're not sure how tenable this is long term and then john's little conversation with dargo is interrupted when I assume this person was also a priest, but I don't think I had any reason to actually think that. No, he's not. He's just some random off-worlder. Yeah. By the way, he's an off-worlder. Hmm. Yeah, some random off-worlder grabs John and dangles him off Chekhov's cliff. Yeah. (laughs) And he's like, you should not be interfering with the politics of this planet. And John's like, yeah, I don't want to interfere with the politics of this planet. He's also like, I just had a talk with the prefect and we squared things away. So you need to like take a chill pill. And the guy's like, be careful. These stairs are quite slippery. And John's like, yep. Why why isn't there a guardrail then? You think there'd be a guardrail on these, you know, stairs carved into a giant cliff face, right? Then John has the conversation with Aaron that we already saw him have where she speaks English and says, you know, bad. She's getting bad bribes from the planet. So this is all happening prior to anyway Aaron is in the marketplace she is getting bad vibes from this place as we know she's having lots and lots of images of her shooting people up the little girl hands her a drink okay I I haven't actually seen the new Doctor Strange movie okay but I have seen a bit in it where uh America Chavez has brought uh, Doctor Strange to an alternate dimension Uh uh-huh and uh, she just she grabs a pizza ball, I think, from a uh, from a food cart, and he's like, "Don't you have to pay for that?" And she's like, "Actually, you don't have to pay for food in most dimensions that I go to. Like, it's really weird that you're from a dimension where you have to pay for food." Oh, that's interesting. Oh, okay, huh? But then they start getting chased down because it turns out that this is one of the dimensions that you have to pay for food in. Okay, that's pretty funny. Anyway, there are gunshots going off. John hears them. Dargo hears them. Everyone starts running to the marketplace. It is Aaron shooting the place up. You'd think at this point in the show, if someone was like, hey, I'm having bad vibes and hallucinations about killing people, you'd be like, let's get you off planet. Instead of just ignoring it until the horrible thing happens. Okay, to be fair, it feels like they ignored it because of the way this episode is split up. But Aaron is shooting up the place about 60 seconds after she says she's got bad vibes. Mm. So, yeah, Aaron shoots up the place, including Dargo. Mm-hmm. And I don't know where this wooded area was, 
where Chiana was talking to the priest guy and Sokozu was fucking the prefect to be to be and John was on the stairs. But I guess everything in this planet is really close together because everyone comes running and everyone shows up so quickly. In fact, that Dargo actually gets shot. He's hey. okay, though. Hey, Aaron doesn't shoot the little girl, though. They, they are very clear about that. Aaron does not shoot the little girl. She does kill the prefect to be, though. Wah, he is wah. dead now. No, this is this is like a total innocent. And honestly, so are the other 17 people in this marketplace that die. And Aaron, As far as we know. Yeah, no, I know. Yeah, Aaron just killed them. Yeah, it's not, it's not good. No, no, not at all. Anyway, the prefix, uh, the prefect to be's son is there, and you know this is bad. He's like, no. So, uh, my question is, if they change leaders every three months or whatever, it's because they keep getting shot. Oh. Oh. That's not supposed to be the system. Okay, I thought that they just kept changing leaders every three months so that all of the clans would feel represented. No, but I think who's supposed to be the next leader, it cycles through the clans. Like like the Avatar, right? Yeah. Cycles through the, the bending styles. You get it. I'm, I'm telling them. I know you know. You get you get an airbender is the Avatar or somebody from the airbending tribe because the, the Avatar can control all bending and then after that it's someone from the water tribe and then after that it's someone from the fire tribe and then after that it's earth actually i'm not sure if that's the order but that's i know it's air and then water but just because you know cora exactly anyway everybody is yelling at the prefect to be son and they're like you need to go avenge your father's death and the guy who is the current prefect is like well this was an off-world assassination we better go find aaron and kill her and john is like oh no that's bad it's not a good plan. Look, it's probably mind control. Like, we've, we've been through this sort of thing a lot. Like, it's probably mind control. Yeah. They ask Dargo where Aaron is, and he's like, I don't know. And if I knew, I wouldn't tell you, even though she just shot me, because she's my crewmate, and fuck you guys. I like how the people start immediately trying to pin all of the other clan leader assassinations on these guys. And John's like, we showed up, like, an hour ago. Come on. Right? Anyway, John is going to go find Aaron, and the prefix to B's son is going to come with him because it's his right to avenge his father's death. And the prefect wants to stop him, but the priest reminds him, hey, that's the law. The law is that this guy gets to kill Aaron if he wants to, so you need to back off. Okay, so is the guy, is the current prefect supposed to be old? It seems weird that he's retiring or whatever, if they're not switching prefix every three weeks. I don't know. I don't have an answer for you. Also, I'm not sure that I'm not sure that the other guy was supposed to be the prefect that quick. You know what? I don't know. I don't understand the way their political system works. Maybe whatever. They, maybe they said it during a blip when they were flipping back and forth in time, and I missed it. I don't know. Doesn't matter. Anyway, John and this guy are gonna go find Aaron. We do get one last shot of the little girl poking a corpse, presumably a parent or something. Oof. It's a bit much. Yeah. Anyway, this guy pulls a gun on John, and John does not care. Sokozu shows up and is like, don't kill John. I had sex with you. Please don't kill my, I don't want to say friend, guy I share a ship with, I guess. Shut up and look at my boobs. Well, she's dressed now. Yeah. I mean, they're still there, but now they're covered with leather. Kind of. She has, like, a, a boob shirt. Okay. Boob armor. Yes, thank you. I was going to say, I feel like boob shirts usually implies that it, like, is low cut and you can see cleavage. 
you actually see no cleavage here, but yeah, it's the it's boob shaped. Yeah, it's it's like those vacuum uh, seal shirts that women wear in comic books that don't exist in real life. So artists can just draw straight up breasts, and they're like, no, she's wearing a shirt. See? Yeah. John says, "Let's split up to find Aaron and the the prince." I mean, you know, I'm gonna call him prince, even though it's not really the deal. Yeah. The prince is like, "Um, if we split up, you're gonna run." And John is like, "Just you trust me or you don't." And the prince, who was holding a gun to his head 30 seconds ago, is like, all right, man, that's fair. I mean, it does seem like a bad idea to have one of the assassin's friends helping you look for her, but... Two of the assassin's friends! Sokoza's there, too. Yeah. I mean, it's different because he's had sex with her, but is it? Is it different? John sings as he wanders off, you take the high road. You take the low road, and I'll take the... You take the high road, and I'll take the low road, and I'll be in Scotland before you. Yeah. Which is, a, the low road is death, right? Like, I I understood that song to mean that I will get there through conventional travel, and you will die, and I will reach Scotland before you. Oh, I am not familiar enough with that song to, I, I just assumed that it was about, you know, if I do underhanded things, and you do not underhanded things, I'll. Okay, I actually want to Google this, because if, if. If I'm right, I feel like that's important. Okay, okay. The line from Scotland is, you take the high road and I'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland before you. Another verse in the song, and this is from the internet, so whatever, grain of salt. Another verse suggests that the singer of the song, the, the narrator of the song, is a traitor and is about to be hanged. And the low road is like the trap door, the, mm. the, short, the short drop and the quick stop. So I'll take the low road and I'll be in Scotland before you. Um, like I said, internet grain of salt. I'm only pointing this out because there are in fact two Johns. And if I'm right that the low road represents death, there, one John did take the low road and one John did take the high road. I just I feel like it was a meaningful song choice. So John's looking at the drugs and then Aaron's like, hey, John, I'm right here. What's up? Yeah, she's just sitting there watching him she's like did i kill gadash and john's like yup john actually tells her he says you killed oh well first he asked her why she killed him and she's like i do not know i was definitely mind controlled a thing that maybe you know something about and the way they shoot this is really weird because she's far behind john it cuts to her it cuts to john close up on their faces when we get the wide shot john is now sitting directly next to her but there's but the way it was shot it doesn't make sense that he like he, he jumped in space. Hey, John, you know about killing people while under mind control. Remember that one time you killed me while you were under mind control? You remember that, John? Right? She doesn't bring that up, though. John just tells her that she shot a bunch of people, including Dargo. And she's like, no, I just shot one guy. And he tells her to check her gun and see how much oil has been expended. Mm. Which is like, I don't know. I love that moment. He's kind of in a, in a haze because he took the drug. And Aaron is fucked up because she was just mind controlled to kill a bunch of people. And she sees, yeah, she's out of oil. And the priest shows up now and tells her that she killed 17 people. And he's like, look, it sucks that you did that or whatever, but bigger problem. The whole reason that you were controlled into shooting all of those people was to start a war. Like... I don't, I don't know you, but this seemed like a very calculated thing and not like some off-world or just randomly 
yeah. going on a killing spree. Also, the other two assassins who killed Prefix before immediately died themselves. This is the first time that an assassin has lived. So I think this is where I got confused about this being the thing that she did previously when she killed a oh. leader. Because I know she was part of, she was with the crew and the crew's all dead now. Yes. Yeah, that was, they were not involved in the prior assassinations. Yeah. But because she, you know, is Aaron and she's still alive, now they can track down who it is who's doing this. And he's pushing her to try to remember anything weird that happens. She remembers the child. She remembers getting bit by the bug. And he's like, there are no bugs on this planet. Can we move there? I mean, I know clan wars or whatever, but no bugs. Right? Although my thought is, saying there are no bugs on that planet, I know that there aren't, I know that's the plot, I know that's the point, but saying that there are no bugs feels like saying that, like, there's no war in Bossing Say. It's like two Avatar yeah, references. I was about to say, a lot of Avatar we references. Have, have we ever, I'm sure we've referenced Avatar before, but, so, anyway, I just want to point out how weird that is. <laughs> so, a bug bites John. Yeah, now that John's been bitten by a bug, he's like, wait, I am now being mind-controlled. He can, he can see himself getting fuzzy. Like, everything's going fuzzy in his vision, just like it was for Aaron. And Aaron's flipping out. Aaron's flipping out, and she's flashing between remembering what happened and seeing what's happening now. And John's freaking out. They realize, basically, it's the bugs. The bugs are the things that are controlling them. So they better get to a fog room. A room with a bunch of fog where there can be no living bugs. You'd think John being on drugs would kind of... Uh, I'm not saying protect him, but... You'd think it would have less impact, right? He should be used to it by now. I'm just saying, like, I would imagine mind control uh, stuff would be less effective on John because he's been through it so much and also he's currently high. You know what's weird? If John hadn't got rid of the Scorpius in his head, the Scorpius in his head would prevent him from being affected by the mind control bugs. Mm. I mean, I get that it was killing him slowly from inside of his own brain, but... Maybe, maybe it had a good, maybe it had a use after all. Every cloud has a silver lining. Yep. Yep. Anyway, John is, you know, getting flashes that he's going to try to kill the priest guy. So they all go to the fog room, a room filled with fog so that they can get their shit under control. Well, John's creating smoke because smoke drives off bugs. I was saying fog because I was actually thinking of foggers, you know, the things that you use to kill bugs inside your home. Yeah. But yes, it is smoke to drive away bugs. So Prince Guy shows up and he's like, I seek vengeance for my father. And Sokozer's behind him and she looks so embarrassed. <laughs> she really does. She's like, oh, I, I just wanted to get laid. I'm just, I'm not here for any of this. Uh, although, although, to be fair, unlike Chiana, I don't think she did just want to get laid. I think she was interested in, like, what's up. But John points out, like, look, someone's using mind control bugs to destabilize the government, so blah, 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 blah. And the guy's like, there are no bugs in Ba Sing Se. And John shows him his bug bite. Like, explain that then! It's like, you could have gotten bit anywhere, John. Yeah, or that could be, like, an injection or something. But the priest guy confirms the story, and Sokozu's like, hey... Didn't your father trust the priest guy? You should trust the priest guy, too. Yeah. Boy, this guy must be super easy to manipulate. Oh, your father would have wanted you to do X. So, the insects clearly came from off-world, because there are no insects on this planet. Mm -hmm. So, it must have been an off-worlder who did this. 
And everybody looks at John and Aaron for a second, but of course it's not John and Aaron because they just got there. And then we Gilligan cut? What's the dramatic version of a Gilligan cut? <laughs> and we Gilligan cut to the only other off-worlder on this planet who is holding Tiana and he's like, my bugs have no effect on her. They have no taste for Nabari flesh. And Tiana's like, everyone likes me. She says, I'm attractive to everyone. Because <laughs> the bugs aren't attracted to her. Hey, I'm very biteable, pal. Yeah, which is weird. Isn't this a weird uh, parallel to the thing with Jewel where she wanted to be cannibalized? Yeah. But yeah, they're beating up on Shiana because the bugs are not wanting to bite her. But yes, the current prefect guy is working with this off-worlder, the beekeeper. John calls him that later. I'm going to call him that forever. Mm. The beekeeper so that he can kill off everybody and basically be prefect for life, I guess. So I guess they do change prefects occasionally. I don't know. Doesn't matter. I'm, I am John here. I don't care about your stupid politics. He's also very angry that the priest isn't dead. Yeah, he's like, you had one job. And then the guy says, I have many jobs that I'm, you know, required to accomplish. And I use bees for all of them. Killing your, killing your priest, killing your troublesome priest is only a small portion of what I am supposed to do. I feel like this episode really tracks heavily to the War of the Roses. I think if we I think if we sat down like and actually looked at it, this episode, you know, correlates to English history surprisingly heavily. Which is also Game of Thrones correlates heavily to War of the Roses. So I'm basically saying that this episode is Game of Thrones before Game of Thrones. So, the beekeeper does the uh, Oprah bees gift thing. You remember that? Weird. What? Yeah. Yeah. Because that gif isn't actually about bees. We use it for bees, but that's not actually what it is. Well, someone superimposed a bunch of bees on it. Yeah, but that's not... <laughs> that's not the context of... But you're right. That's what he's doing. Anyway, doing that releases the bees from his head. That's how he got the bees. They come out of his head. Head full of bees. He's got a head full of bees. I know the feel. <laughs> So Chiana starts using her vision purposefully so that she can figure out what's going on. And the guy's like, that's weird. What's going on with your eyes there? You're doing something funky? And he punches her in the face and she's like... Well, now she's unconscious. Now she's not seeing anything, past or future or present. I mean, to be fair, smart move. To punch her out? Yeah, it's like when you're in Charmed or whatever... And they and the demons just stand there and let the charmed ones recite their little poems instead of like running up and punching them in the face. Fair, fair. Oh, by the way, Dargo's fine. We we mentioned. Oh that he yeah, got we shot. we said we said several times that Dargo's shot, and we never once said that he's fine. Well, I guess we did because he said he wasn't going to give up Aaron. It's a mild case of getting shot. Yeah, it's just a flesh wound. So Chiana's like, "Hey, uh, I'm in what's his bucket's place." Uh, Come save me. Come save me. By the way, he's got mind control bugs. And since Chiana is seeing the future, she's telling them to come save her. But then she's like, oh, um, wait, by the way, you're mind controlled to shoot each other. So, oops, too late. John and Aaron have pulled guns on each other. Also, I'm blind. Remember, that's a word. Yeah, that's what happens when she has her visions. It's weird that she feels obligated to mention it every time. I mean, I guess it makes sense. She's she's captured and blind now. So that's. Yeah. John and Aaron see each other shooting each other and dying together. And they're both like, um, are you being mind controlled to kill me? And they're both like, maybe. 
but something something power of love maybe power of something but yeah they get they get in there they rescue chiana they, they, they manage not to shoot each other and go rest go to the chamber where chiana's being kept and i love this john says is the beekeeper here and chiana says i haven't seen him Ooh. no i like that chiana is like imprisoned beat up blinded and she's still like cracking jokes like she's she and john are platonic soulmates i feel like they should just travel the universe together forever so they're getting bit by a lot more bugs because the mind control didn't work and the guy's like i know what'll uh, solve this problem more bugs yeah more mind control also if that doesn't work uh guns and aaron's like Oh, you do not want to get in a gun off with me. But the problem is, because he does come in guns blazing, and John and Aaron do both shoot at him, but they have him down, he's unconscious, but they can't shoot him, because they are mind-controlled. Just like John was with Scorpius, they cannot kill him. Well, Aaron does shoot him. Yeah, but not. she doesn't kill him. She doesn't kill him. She, I, she shot him as softly as possible. I feel like Aaron is a good enough shot that she was able to shoot him because she knew that she wasn't shooting to kill, but since John is not a good enough shot to shoot to wound, he can't shoot at all. Mm. So now John and Aaron pull guns on each other again. Piss, you know, mind control bugs. Aaron says, you know, Aaron says we have a problem. John says fight it. Aaron says, I am trying to fight it. And Chiana's <laughs> like, I don't have any context for what's going on. I'm blind. But but she already saw it in her vision. Come on. Anyway, John and Aaron both have a vision of shooting each other. They both shake it off. They both fire and they both miss. And Chiana's like, okay, cut it out. Cut it out. No. No. Aaron says, I don't have the strength to miss next time. And John says, I think I'm just a bad shot. Which is so fucked up. Aaron is so heartbroken. And John is so, like... He's clearly messed up, but also his emotions are numbed, we know, because of the drugs. He says, you know, I thought that the coin toss ended badly. And this is what I was saying before about what should have been on the previously on. Mm. Because he means the coin toss at the end of Dog with Two Bones, where he begged Aaron to let fate take the wheel and toss a coin to decide whether or not she was going to leave him. And she tossed a coin and decided she would. Mm. John says, I thought that that was the bad choice, which is so fucking gutting because it implies that he was wrong, that maybe it's good that she left, that maybe he's better off without her. And fuck you, John. Seriously, fuck you. I know you're all drugged up, but fuck you. Aaron and Aaron, Aaron is near tears. And this is Aaron we're talking about. And she says it did. She's been through a lot, though. Yeah. But she says, it did. It did end badly. She regrets that she left. I'm so angry at John in this episode. But I guess John's been through a lot too. Whatever. Whatever. Anyway, Chiana jumps up and manages to stop Aaron from shooting. Dargo and Sokozu come in and manage to jump on on John and stop him from shooting. John's like, Darko, just knock me out. And Dargo punches him in the face and John's like, it's actually really hard to knock someone out in real life. Yeah. He's like, hit me harder. And I'm like, use your tongue. Why did everyone forget that he's got a tongue? But it's okay because the priest arrives with a chainsaw and sneaks up behind the the beekeeper and chainsaws him to death. It's kind of a lot, but okay. Then, wait, no, no, this is the best. Then the prefect guy comes in and he's like, 
Oh no! It was this off-worlder the whole time! How terrible! <laughs> well, he, he has this... He's like, now that the threat has ended, I declare a three-day feast to celebrate. And she was like, what the fuck, man? And the prince is like, you killed my father. You know, you're the reason my father died. And he says, welcome home. Which is kind of badass. It's kind of a badass villain line. The prince is going to shoot him. And the priest guy's like, wait, don't shoot him. Have him face trial with a jury because that's the whole thing we're trying to do is not just shoot everybody now. And the guy's like, okay, here's the deal, guy. I can kill you right now or you can agree to come in and face a trial by a jury of your peers. And he's like, I have no peers and throws himself off of the castle and dies like a Disney villain. Chekhov's cliff. Chekhov's cliff. Yeah, it's uh... And then Dargo's like, you know what? I'm really proud of you that you didn't shoot him. Even though he... Whatever. Whatever. He, he died anyway. You know what? You're a... You clearly are a prince. And you are a prince in the way that princes on Once Upon a Time are princes. You got to do the right thing and still face no consequences. Good job. I was going to say, that's not anything like David. David killed people all the time. Faced no consequences. Yeah. It's weird. I, I know it's been a while since we talked about that show, but... David kills so many people, and it's, like, never a big deal. Like, it's only a big deal when, like, Emma or Snow kills someone. Because then they're like, oh, you've darkened your heart forever. Emma shoots Cruella de Vil in order to stop her from killing Henry. Uh-huh. And it's the thing that starts her on her path to being the dark one or whatever. David is stabbing mooks left, right, and center. Guys, yeah, but they weren't named characters. Yeah, there were guys who were working for Regina because that's like one of the three jobs you can get in this kingdom. Okay, so you know how there's the Bechdel test, which requires two named female characters to have a conversation? Mm-hmm. The David Nolan test is that villainy isn't evil if it's not a named character. Yeah. It's, it's not villainy if the person you kill is not a named character. You can kill whoever you want as long as they're not, you know, a recognizable actor. Dargo tells the prince guy your father would be proud of you because, like I said, Dargo's emotionally invested in this plot. Like I'd be proud of my son if he didn't fuck my fiance. Ooh. Damn. It's true, though. So it's several hours later, and now the prince is destroying the castle. That's the first thing he decided to do as prefect because now that the other guy's dead and his dad's dead, he's prefect now. Okay. And he's destroying the castle because, uh... Equality. Equality. Because equality. And Sokozu's like, I'm so proud of you. And he's like, proud enough to live here and be married to me? And she's like, nope. Yeah, he's like, you could join me. We could lead my people to a bright new future. And Sokozu's like, yeah, no. There's no way I'm, I'm spending the rest of my life on this backwater shit planet. We debrief some more with Chiana and the priest guy. Chiana has her sight back, but she tells the priest guy it's the longest time she's ever been blind since having a prophecy. And the priest guy's like, so stop doing that yeah doctor it hurts when i go like this right so don't go like that anyway sokozu shows up and is like all right let's go back to moya and shadow's like yeah let's get the fuck out of this place filled with terrible people not you not you priest guy you're fine and then they like almost kiss but not really it's this weird thing where they kind of lean into each other they do like a forehead touch yeah chiana and sokozu yeah it's basically delvian sex I guess it's nice that Chiana, I mean, I know she has something of an antagonistic relationship with Sakosu, but it is nice that she's not doing the thing she does whenever a new woman goes on uh, yeah. Moya, or at 
least it's nice that she's abandoning it pretty quickly into her relationship with Sagozu. Mm-hmm. So Aaron, meanwhile, goes to apologize to all the corpses of the people she killed. Yeah, she's at the gravesite. It's really, really heavy stuff. She just killed 17 people. And John shows up and he just, like, lightly touches her hair with the back of his hand. He, like, stands behind her and he, like, just puts his hand on her enough to let her know that he's, like, there to support her. And she kind of leans into it. And he's been such a dick this episode. But this is, like him defrosting enough to give her the support she needs i do appreciate how long it holds on this shot i do really think it helps moments like this land when you just get long stretches of nothing happening mm-hmm. i agree so uh i got my covid booster and my flu shot yesterday so when i watched this episode the first time i was pretty in and out on it uh-huh but uh, i like it more in retrospect going over it again when i'm not you know when I'm not going in and out constantly. Sure, sure. I still don't think it's a great episode of Farscape or anything. Like, it, it does feel like a we needed to fill out the season. I don't think it's... It's not a top-tier episode, but it's not a bad episode. It's fine. It does what it's doing. Mm-hmm. I do think it's... I think the conceit that they were doing with time... I understand why they did it. It wasn't a bad idea. But I think they either needed to... They needed to do it more or they needed to not do it at all. Yeah, it, it ended up feeling like a gimmick they got bored with halfway through the episode and just dropped. Yes, that's exactly what it felt like. But other than that, the emotions of this episode, you know, were there for me. This this episode emotionally resonated, not to not to preview, <laughs> not to preview our, our segments, but the emotions of this resonated in a way that, you know, I look to Farscape for. I think the big thing about this episode is that it's a lot of stuff Farscape has already done before and better. Like, Aaron's guilt over blowing up the ship that didn't evacuate the children is sort of a better version of this plot. Mm-hmm. Look at the princess as a better version of the political involvement. Like, it, it's not a bad episode. It's just something we've seen Farscape do before and better. And that's fair. And that's just what happens when you have 23 episodes in a season, I think. Yeah, also, I mean, there are kind of a limited number of sci-fi plots you can do. Yeah. All right. Next time we're going to be talking about Kubai Clam. Max and I are going to need to set aside like four hours to record because I feel like we are going to have a lot to say about Kubai <laughs> Clam. But I also, if you are watching along with us, please feel free to skip the next episode. Do not feel like you need to watch Kubai Clam. Oh, dear. The summary from IMDb is... The crew consume food, sharing amongst themselves. Although if... Well, I'm not reading the IMDb summary. It makes no sense. Uh, the let me, let me find a better summary for this episode. Sorry, that just reminds me of uh, in our Once Upon a Time podcast. The recap of an episode, like, late in season seven, was Gothel negotiates with Regina to join her coven. And, like, they, they had that as the thing that happens in the episode. And it's, like, a 15-second scene where Gothel's like, you know, you could join me. And Regina's like, no. And then completely other stuff happens in the rest of the episode. And I'm like, why was that the summary then? That is weird. But, I mean, it's season seven of Once Upon a Time. The the who gives a shit season. <laughs> that, that season would have benefited from the thing I was talking about with Neil Gaiman. Right to the end and then go back and pretend you knew what was going to happen from the beginning. Obviously, I know it's not as easy to do in serialized television, just like with comics. But 
Come on, man. Maybe just stick to a plot. Maybe just make it a rule that you're not allowed to put down this plot until you're done with it. Well... No the, dessert until you've finished your Hansel and Gretel plot. The fact is, like, the first six episodes or so completely do not work with what happens at the end of the season. That's what I'm talking about! Exactly! I mean, to be fair, basically nothing that happens in that season tracks logically. Like, there's that whole thing where, like... They think that uh, What's-Her-Bucket Drizella or whoever is the guardian, and then they get rid of the that, like, Drizella and Anastasia go back to fairytale land, and they're like, nope, it turns out that Alice was the guardian the whole time. And it's like, then what were we doing for the first half of the season? What was the explanation for Drizella having all of these weird magic powers that, like, no one else has? We will never stop complaining about Once Upon a Time Season 7, will we? It doesn't make any sense. And that whole thing where, like, Gothel killed every human on Earth and destroyed all magic, and then she waited for humanity to evolve again so that she could kill them again and then rule the world? Why wait for them to evolve? You already killed all humanity. Also, the fact that it apparently only took, like, a thousand years for humanity to re-evolve. Next time we'll be talking about the Farscape episode, Coup by Clam, and the description on Wikipedia is, With Moya struggling to adapt to tormented space, the crew stops at an isolated settlement to get assistance. They submit to a routine examination for so-called space madness, which is no excuse for <laughs> space rudeness. <laughs> But find themselves the victims of an extortion plot by the examining doctor who has placed toxic quantum clams in their food. Okay. What's funny is the part about Kubai Clam that's terrible, not even touched on in this episode. You know what? I'm just going to say it so that people know if they want to, like, skip it or not. Like, trigger warning, this episode's also really transphobic. So that's, yeah. So I just want to throw that out there because if our audience was like on the fence about whether they were going to skip it or not with me saying it was bad, I just want you to know that going in. Yeah. All right. So that's the end of this episode. All right. We've got some segments to talk about. Yes, we have our segments. Our first segment is a distant part of the universe. What world building worked for you this episode? Well, apparently it's not what actually happened, but I did really like the concept of a civilization where they change leaders every three weeks. (laughs) I do kind of like the idea that, you know... Just to keep things feeling on even ground, you constantly have a new leader. And, you know, yeah, sure, it stops anyone from really doing much, but also it stops a lot of harm. Like, I don't think it's a good, I don't think it's necessarily a good system of government, but I think it's an interesting system of government. Keeps life spicy. You know what? They should change leaders every three weeks, and whoever the new leader is should be like randomly chosen a random citizen yeah like this is my month to rule because i was chosen by lottery well it's like the denmark twitter account yes exactly that would also prevent assassinations because who could you kill there's no line of secession it just I, i i imagine it coming out of one of those giant bingo bin things that you spin around and then you pull out the ball but, yes. But apparently that's not actually how it works, so I didn't have anything. No, I like that world building, though. That's good. That's good. You mentioned before that this episode kind of does a lot of things that we've seen Farscape do better. As a result, unfortunately, I have no world building that really interested me. Mm. Even the bugs that mind control you, I'm like, eh, whatever. Uh, I mean, we already had the microbe, uh, the body hopping microbes. Yeah. Also, I mean, if you want to control someone, get a chip from Scorpius. It's not that hard. <laughs> oh, another person who is sir not appearing in this episode. Mm. 
Our second segment is Strange Alien Creatures. We got that this week. Which creature design worked for you this episode? Oh, the priest. The priest was so cool. And it's weird because I feel like he was just straight up a puppet. Yeah. Just like a really advanced puppet because all the other aliens were people. But this guy was just like a weird puppet and it looked so cool. So for me, normally bees flying out of someone's head would be nightmare fuel. But the way that the beekeeper was designed and the way he had like this like kind of half-shaved head with, like, the vent on one side. It was a good look. I liked it. Also, he had heavy eyeliner, so basically he was, like, emo beekeeper. It was like it was like if Jack White was a beekeeper alien. I was here for it. Our final segment is The Wonders That I've Seen, which is what emotionally resonated with you this episode. I mean, there's... It, it's cheating. There's some good Aaron stuff. There's lots of good Aaron stuff. Uh... Was there any particular moment? Because I, I have a good particular Aaron moment. Probably the heartbroken look in her eyes when Jen was like, I'm just a bad shot. Fuck. We, we've we said it before and we'll say it many times again, but Claudia Black just kills it with her face acting every single week. She just brings it. She's so good. For me, it was when John tells her to look at how much oil has been expended from her gun. Hmm. Oh, yeah, and she just looks down and just the knowledge that she's killed all these people and she doesn't even have a memory of it. I mean, that's not on you, Aaron. Like, legitimately, I don't think you should feel guilty about something you do well under mind control. Technically, yes, you shouldn't feel guilty about what you do under mind control, but the person who was controlling her would not have been able to do that if she had not been raised to be a perfect weapon the way she was. Mm. So again, and that's not on her either, but it's like, the core of who she is was being used was being used to create such harm. I can't imagine how you could walk around and not feel guilty about that. So, yeah. But I think that does it for this week. Yeah, that should about do it. Our show is partially listener supported. If you want to be one of the supporters, you should head over to our website, www.welcometotelevision.net, and click on our Patreon link. I'd like to thank our current $5 and above patrons, Beryl, Patricia, Rosa, Ryan, Maricruz, Benjamin, Kate, Jen, and Dan. If you'd like to support the show in other ways, you could always write and review us on Apple Podcasts. It helps other people find the show. If you want to talk about this episode, or any episode, or any episode of any television show, you can email us at ilovetelevisionzines at gmail.com, or you can get us on Twitter at ilovetvzines. So until next time, I'm Max. And I'm Tina. And this has been Welcome to the Uncharted Territories. Except not anymore, because we're doing it these days. We're not changing the name of the podcast.